This is the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's up, Digital Wildcatters? Jake Corley here. Colin? <laughs> you know, I've been wondering, I could probably put you in a headlock and just take you down, can I? Man, I haven't been in such a bad mood right now. I will motherfucking take you down right now. <laughs> you know, you swear so much on the show. I really feel like it alienates some of our 12-year-old listeners. Well, it alienates me, honestly. Sometimes I don't even know how to put the words together. <laughs> well, let's see what we got going here today. I mean, we got some guests we're pretty excited about, but I want to read a review here. The review is... Jake and Colin, if you would spend more time reading and less time working out, you would be less good looking. <laughs> I mean, is that even a review? I mean, it seems it seems a bit excessive. What I mean, do you it, it kind of smells like 12-year-old fingernails, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, it just I, I feel like maybe I actually I wrote that myself. Oh, I, I'm not gonna lie. I'm but I, I feel like I'm having one of my better looking days today. Yeah, you know, the reverse gym workout we're both working on right now yeah, is, is yeah. Uh, really helping us drop some weight. I think so. I think so. So what do we want to talk about today? Well, you know, I think now's the time to introduce our guests. Yeah, absolutely. So the real Jake Corley, would you please stand up? Obviously, yeah. you may have noticed the voices were a little different. So we're doing, we, we stole the mics today. We're going back about a year when both Mark and I were on the show sort of in successive weeks. Right. We've been trying to figure out a way to get back and turn the tables on Colin and Jake. So <laughs> now we get to, I'm so fired up. It's, it's, it's been great. I think just watching these guys grow over mm -hmm. time. And I think being a small part of their story for me personally, and, and, and even your brand, David, watching it grow, it's been a wild uh, year for the digital wildcatters. It's been fun to be a part of. Absolutely. Well, guys, how you doing? I'm doing great, great man. Wait, is it weird doing? to be on that end of the this table? This is so weird. Not only are you taking our spots on the intro, you've taken our spots at the table too. So I'm, <laughs> I'm just completely turned backwards right now. You better watch out. I've been Ooh. excited. Who came, who came up with this idea? Was it just over whiskey, that one end of the, the, yeah. the podcast? All, all good yeah. ideas yeah. come yeah. from whiskey. Yeah. 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 We got whiskey on this podcast today, so it's going to be a good one. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think like, like, like Mark said, I mean, one of the things our industry lacks, we've talked about it before, is a face. And you guys were amongst the first podcasters that I know that, that really started connecting with people, not just oil and gas people, but young people. So why don't you guys start with, with sort of the story of how, how the podcast started? We'll get into all the other stuff, but, but where, where'd the idea come from? Yeah. So it's actually funny. I used to sit on offshore rigs and I'd just be bored as fuck. You know, we wouldn't be doing anything out there. And so I actually started putting out content and I'd start writing on LinkedIn and just started doing really well on LinkedIn. I was like, holy shit, you know, this is pretty easy. There's no one else putting out content. So it wasn't necessarily that I was any good at putting out content. It's just that no one in oil and gas was doing it at the time. And, you know, Jake and I had met several years ago and about this time last year, actually a little bit before that, about a year and a half ago, you know, we got this idea, you know, talking from coastal venture capitalists, people would ask us, hey, where can we go to learn about oil and gas technology? And at the time, there was not a single resource to point these guys out to. Mm -hmm. And so Jake and I said, why don't we just create the platform or the resource where people can hear about these things? I think at the time, Jake had been doing oil and gas this week already for the podcast. And yeah. that's kind of how we came up with, that was the genesis of the plus, idea. Plus, we already we had a lot of great conversations with guys like y'all that were happening in private. We would be over lunch or be over drinks or something. And then we'd, we'd take a step back afterwards and be like, man, we were just like so hyped up, just like clicking our heels and high-fiving and like we have the coolest friends. And then I think just combined with everything he said there, it was, 
how do we how do we tell these stories and how do we you know put this out there and it's just something that people even want to listen to and so we didn't know if it was going to take off if it was just going to fall flat on its face and but i think because of people like you guys and the, and the stories that you've told i think has been a testament to to i don't think it's just us there's a lot of effort on our end but having without the guest we can't have the show mm-hmm. and so and it's also cool just moving forward it's like okay, I see somebody, um, let's just say John Smith, who just sold his company for a couple billion dollars. I'm like, he seems like a really cool guy. Can we get him on the show? And then you you just hit it off. Hopefully. I don't think there's anybody that we haven't hit it off with yet. Yeah. I mean, we're friends with almost everyone that's ever came on the show, right? So it was a way for us to increase our network. That was mm-hmm. kind of our personal gain from doing it. Because now you're just, you're surrounded with like-minded people. So like the podcast dinner that, that you guys had had organized that was right. fantastic it yeah. was like it was like better than a birthday party because i was like i was <laughs> friends with everybody in the yeah. room yeah. you know and yeah. i didn't have enough time that night to spend time with everybody and and luckily we're doing another one here soon so that's that's super exciting yeah i think now's the appropriate time but speaking of the dinner to give a shout out to ashley thanks yeah. for the whiskey by oh, the yeah. way uh, yeah, cheers ashley over at tracks when he came in for his podcast he brought us a couple of handles of liquor and we just busted open the whiskey for this one that yeah, was a special a good, occasion so this? this is a, a limited release cotton hollow barrel strength texas straight bourbon whiskey aged four years i don't know much <laughs> yeah, they are looking for this. additional sponsorships if uh, yeah you could use a whiskey cotton <laughs> hollow i mean this, this, is this episode without... is brought to you by cotton <laughs> hollow yeah, show, show it to the camera <laughs> you know i think i think actually i will say this is the best four-year whiskey i've had this uh, it's wonderful it's yeah. wonderful for four-year whiskey it does make me want to fight though so i don't know <laughs> that's and, just jake talk that's jake talk i gotta let it go i gotta let it go so we talked a little bit about the podcast do you have a favorite episode and you can't include mark or i obviously but in terms of like something that was surprising or or something that really like people connected with yeah i think one that stuck out to me was actually laser stream for the sole reason that I honestly thought it was going to be a boring show before they came on. And then when they started talking about their technology, I was like, holy shit, this is really fucking cool. He was you know, passionate too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you can inspect the inside of a two inch, you know, steel 1502 frack line and just talking about the technology. That was a cool episode for me because I had, you know, I didn't have very high expectations for the technology before they came on. And as they sat there talking, like I bought into their story, I bought mm-hmm. into the technology, I felt the passion. And so that was a that was a cool episode for me that kind of stuck out. And then David's is up there also, which David has the highest ranking podcast episode out of all of ours. Just you telling your personal story and some of the vulnerable things was, well, I appreciate uh, it. was a great episode. Yeah. I mean, it's like asking like which which child is your favorite. Both, both of mine are. I promise, guys. <laughs> I know they're listening. I think I'll, I'll take a little bit of a different route. I think one of the most memorable ones was the very first episode because we had no clue what we were doing, and so Josh Robbins was our first guest. We hit up Josh, and this was this was true probably of at least the first twenty episodes. It was just like hitting up friends, being like, "Hey guys, we have this podcast. You like want to come on and spend an hour with us and, and talk?" And with Josh, we absolutely had no clue what we were going to do. He was like, "So what's the format?" And I'm like, "We don't know. We're just going to roll right into it." And so I don't think we could have had a better guest than Josh Robbins too. I mean, he came on there. He's pretty much like, fuck Nate, fuck everyone else. <laughs> like, damn, this podcast is going to be lit. <laughs> and like, all right, so this is definitely an explicit podcast. So yeah, so that kind of sticks out to me. But all of our guests have been, I, I have learned something from every single person that stepped into the room. Like, like Colin said, just crazy stuff from laser stream to on the chemical side with like Geochemica to hearing stories from other EMP guys like Yusuf and Seth and, and you, David, all the tech guys, Mark, you, Ashley, mm-hmm. I think Novi Labs was a really good one. Man, yeah, it just, I get hype about all of them. It's really, really hard to kind of single out a certain one. 
Jake and I are surprised because the podcast has been on for almost a year mm-hmm. this month. And you always feel like that one episode that you have is going to be the bad episode, right? Yeah. Like, you know what's going to happen eventually. Like someone's right. going to come on. It's just not going to be interesting. And I don't feel like we've ever, we haven't hit that one episode yet to where it's just a boring person or boring conversation. Yeah. So that's kind of like our whole thesis too yeah. behind the podcast is that, you know, like I said, we wanted to shine a light on the industry. Like when people outside of the industry think about oil and gas, what's what's their image of it, right? And it's usually just this boring, stale industry. And the industry is full of characters and it's full of extremely intelligent people. And so we wanted to be able to tell those stories and shine a light on it. And I think that, you know, just kind of the format that we've had, it's allowed people to do that and tell their stories. You know, yeah. like Mark, for, uh, for instance, with Q Engineering here, it's hard to tell in oil and gas when you're selling enterprise software, it's yeah. hard to tell the story of the team and the people behind it. Yeah. And there's really not a, a format to do that other than our podcasts, I don't think. So. No, I mean, and, and it really is a team dynamic. You know, I, sitting in this room, you've got the two of you guys that have been running the show, but you're not the only two guys in this room. Mm-hmm. And, yep. you know, I think the network of related parties that you've built uh, on purpose or accidentally, however it happens, it doesn't matter. But that, I think, is is significant in terms of growth in the industry to uh, David's first point, just kind of yeah. you know, opening it up. So talk about yourselves a little bit. I mean, the list you guys are always lead in with uh, a little bit of chat and then, hey, tell us your story. But I mean, for the listeners who've been hearing your voice and, and you know, I, I love when they, they get released. And I like you said, I learned a whole bunch of technology. I was saying, Mark, the first time, other than the panel that you that you were moderating that I was on, the first time I ever heard myself quoted was when you quoted me on the podcast. Yeah. And I was like... <laughs> Dude, that is so awesome. That is so awesome. So that when you felt like you'd made it, you know, no, no, just, no. just forget about selling an EMP and everything. Yeah, is that wow. when you yeah, felt like you made it? Yeah. I feel like that's like a title belt. Like that's <laughs> the first time DRW was quoted because man, it's been pretty, pretty heavy season for you recently. It's been, it's been weird. We'll, we'll talk about that, but I want to know, I want to know you guys, a little, little background, a little story. Tell us about yourselves. Tell us things that people don't know. Okay. Got out of the Marine Corps, uh, 2012. So up to that point, I'd been involved in technology since, um, like professionally, since I was like 17. Worked at a company called Reynolds & Reynolds, which was formerly Universal Computer Systems. They completely owned the market on technology for car dealerships. And so I got put onto a team where I was building essentially a red box for car keys for like Lamborghini and Ferrari dealerships. And so we built that from a component level. At that point, I had been in school for, I don't know, about a year and a half, about three semesters or so. I graduated high school at 17, literally like just turned 17, graduated, had a four bedroom, four bath apartment to myself. And then my parents moved across the country. So needless to say, I didn't take school very seriously. And so I was pretty much majoring in beer and girls. And my, I get a call from my parents one day and they say, Hey, we're dropping you. Right. So I had three weeks to come up with how the hell was I going to support myself? I didn't want to go full-time at the company that I was at because it was a, just a dead end job you'll make 35, 40 grand a year. And these guys were just like wasting away. And so I said, well, maybe I'll go to see the world. So I went and joined the Marine Corps, did that for four years, thought I was going to get away from technology. They put me in communications maintenance. So I literally just fixed communications equipment for four years. So then once my time was up, I had a wonderful time in California, surfing, snowboarding, all that kind of stuff. It was a hard tour for Jake. Yeah, it was, yeah right. <laughs> it was rough. Rode motorcycles every weekend. It was rough. I mean, in reality, it was rough, but there were some parts, but we had a good time there. And so then I got out and I was like, you know, what am I going to do? I was like, I guess I'll go back to school. I got the GI bill now. Plus I have the Hazelwood Act so I can go get a master's and have it paid for. 
so I went to school for computer science. I said I was done with the hardware side. Let's focus on software. I went to school for like a whopping two or three semesters. Ended up meeting. So everybody's listening. Yusuf Chaudhry, who we had on the show a yeah. few episodes back, his older brother was my business partner. He was the first guy that kind of brought me into oil. We met at the gym. That's literally how I got into oil and gas. Do you work out? I can't really tell. Not at all. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. no. Never lifted away on that reverse, <laughs> yeah, reverse program. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so when, when his biceps are bigger than my stomach and my stomach's pretty big, like, you know, <laughs> you know, you got, you got some issues. I got to get back to the gym. So it's funny. I, I haven't really told this story too often, but the way that we met, I'm a huge car guy for anybody who knows me. And I saw him pull up in a, in a Porsche 911 GT2, which is very rare. And I was like, okay, well, that's interesting. Next day, he pulls in a Maserati Gran Turismo. And I was like, okay, well, that's nice too. So then I asked somebody, I was like, what does he do? And they were like, well, he's a, he's a developer. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. He didn't know what the hell he was doing with working out. And so I just kind of sparked up a conversation. Come to find out, I was in school for computer science. One thing led to another. He started mentoring me. And so I took off school and worked two days a week. Go over to his house. He'd teach me how to code in the real world. Come to find out his dad owned a privately owned EMP company that Yusuf runs today. And he had built software for their company and he wanted to make it a commercial product. Him being a typical developer, he couldn't talk to people. And so for some reason, he thought that I would be a great match for that. And so I dropped out of school, left my job. We raised uh, half a million dollars in friends and family money. And this was right at oil had just dropped about $90, $85 a barrel. Right, right. And so we made that leap and then just rode the downturn. And so that was interesting. We had a, we had a good time. Him and I parted ways into 2016 for lack of a better word, creative differences. And then I went into retirement for a week and was very mopey. I remember I called a call on the day that I left and I was like, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do next. Mm-hmm. I was like, I literally, I dropped out of school. I don't have a degree. I'm three years into oil and gas. I'm not an engineer. I'm not a landman. I'm not a geologist. I'm not a finance guy. So nobody else is going to fucking hire me. So what else do I have to do? I'm going to go start something else, obviously. So started Wellhub a week later, put together a team, and then worked on that for, for quite some time. That was probably, you know, we talk about the dark period for, for entrepreneurs. That was the dark period for me. End of 2016 until all of 2017 was very dark. And then... <laughs> And then it was, wasn't until Colin quit his job in 2000, early 2018 and we linked up and he was just like, well, I don't know what we're going to do. And then we, we got into the wells and we got into a few other things, some consulting and stuff. And then things kind of started to pick up. Did I miss anything? How about the like Wellhub publishing event? So basically in the middle of your darkest, you're like, okay, let's make some videos. Let's get me out there. Let's. Yeah. So, so it was that's so, interesting. Yeah. So Mark brought me on to oil and gas this week. Mm-hmm. So I was literally just kind of sitting around the house working on Wellhub, and he was like, Hey, you want to do a podcast? And I was like, man, I don't, I'm naturally introverted for anybody who knows me. I'm kind of like a forced extrovert. I'm calling BS on that, by the way. That's what everybody says. That's what everybody <laughs> says. He's like, I'm an introvert. I'm like, dude, you're not a fucking introvert. <laughs> I, feel, I feel introverted. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. If Colin's saying I'm not, then maybe I'm not. So we started doing that in 2016. Very first episode I did on that was episode 90, and it's terrible. And so podcasting is definitely an acquired skill for anybody who's you know, kind of curious. Just like anything, you just got to practice it. And so that was interesting because at the same time, so I'm going through my dark period, but at the same time, now all of a sudden I got put on the map with podcasting. And so like... I'm experiencing all of this depression that comes with entrepreneurship and figuring out what I'm going to do next and financial distress. And then the next day I'm keynote speaking at geo convention, you know, and it's very hard to change your mindset and like, okay, like how am I going to pay bills next month? Right. How am I going to get this company? How am I going to put this together team? And then next everybody's looking at you for answers on something or, or some kind of insights. And so that sure. was a very interesting period in my life came out the other side so much stronger. I think a lot of people, 
they look at those times and are like, man, like that was fucking terrible, which it is. But I learned so much about myself during that time that I, I still taste what it feels like to be really, really hungry and really, really broke. Mm-hmm. And I wake up every morning and remind myself of that. And so I'm like super thankful for that. I guess, so when did we meet? 2016? It was early 2016 probably, or end of 2015. Yeah, it was 2016, I think. Yeah, and so you want to fill in your story? Up to yeah, that time I was going to say, Colin, you Because then our stories are intertwined yeah. from that point forward. Yeah, so I'm from Midland, Texas originally. I'm from the Permian Basin right in the middle of it, and I feel like graduating high school out of Midland, you got two career paths, right? Maybe, maybe three. You either go to school to become a petroleum engineer, a landman, or you just go work out in the field. And I took the latter approach. I went and got a job on a drilling rig, roughnecking, working Worms Corner. This was in 2008 and nine time period. So we were right in the middle of that that downturn. And you know, I really had no fucking shot of getting a job. But I made some friends. They said, hey, I'm going to introduce you to someone. That ended up being a guy at Savannah Drilling, which was a Canadian drilling company that moved down to the Permian. And pretty much their thesis for hiring was we don't want to hire any West Texas roughnecks that have bad habits. We want brand new people that we can teach the Canadian way. That was their (laughs) superior way of thinking. So I got a job. And so, (laughs) you know, I still remember it, man. I'm sorry on behalf of Canadians. And as a Canadian, (laughs) I can say that, obviously. (laughs) And You say sorry for anything, dude. No, I mean, honestly, (laughs) when when you have no military and all you have is three canoes and a couple of paddles, you learn two things, to say I'm sorry and to drink with people. That's why Canadians are so good at drinking. You just got to be friendly, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Because otherwise you're going to get your ass kicked. Yes, I remember going in that office and, you know, the the supervisor told me he's like yeah you know you'll probably start in like two weeks when someone drops off of a crew and I was like all right and I go home and two hours later he's like hey someone just quit get your boots you're going out tonight and I was like dude what the fuck and I remember getting out to that rig for a night shift and just like you know you can tell who's new on a on a drilling site you know they go out there and they just look to the top of the derrick it's, it's right? a game yeah and I, I was scared to be honest you know I was just 19 years old and anyways, fell in love with it. Not not so much the roughnecking part. You know, that job fucking sucks. <laughs> you know, anyone that's listening to this roughnecks can attest to that. But just fascinated. I was fascinated about what we were doing. And, you know, I'm just, I'm an entrepreneur by, you know, default. That's how my mind's wired. And so the entire time, you know, I'd be there tripping pipe all day, just thinking about the economics of owning a drilling rig. And I was like, man, someday I want to be, you know, I was drilling wells for RSP at the time. And I was like, I want to own RSP. I want to own the fucking wells. How do I do that? And so I spent a couple of years drilling. And at that point, you know, they, I started working my way up the ladder. You know, I was working Derrick's and they were talking about making me an assistant driller. I don't want to get too heavy into the drilling side. I said, I think I've learned enough in drilling. I want to learn completion. So I went and uh, started running wireline. And, you know, this was, I don't know, 2012 time frame and i mean we were just fracking like a motherfucker i was working 120 hours a week um just on stage work you know just living out on frack locations and did that um for a couple years and then we actually got squeezed out of midland by the housing crisis and so my wife and i were renting a house in midland and the landlord on our last month said hey we're selling the house in a month you got to find somewhere new to move and there was a 98 percent occupancy rate in midland 
And I probably overreacted a little bit, but I was like, fuck it, we're moving out of Midland. We're going somewhere else. And so my wife is eight months pregnant. We threw all our shit in a U-Haul. And I'm going to say definitely overreacted, but it was, I, yeah, I like the response. Was, but like, fight or flight. But Midland's, you know, if you want out of somewhere, it, yeah, you especially go. true to Midland, it's a black hole. You know, it's hard to get out of Midland. So I mean, take me into that conversation a little bit. With, <laughs> with my wife. Yeah. Get your shit and get in the truck. <laughs> I don't think no, that's actually, way. my wife is an extreme risk taker too. So I don't even remember the conversation because it wasn't that significant. It was like, hey, let's just pack our shit up and move. And at the time, I was working for Pioneer Energy Services. They had a yard in South Texas in Victoria, and they were nice enough to transfer me to that yard. And so we moved down to Victoria, and it was not the same atmosphere as the Permian at all. I was not making as much money, you know, significant pay cut. And just like, man, this shit sucks. I don't want to have to go back to Midland. And so we spent six months there. And then I got a call from the Canadian. He was my driller, you know, that I broke out with and I worked for for years. And he had taken a job in Houston as a project manager for Inventure Global Technology running expandable casing. And they'd hired him because they needed a, a Canadian citizen to run jobs up in Canada. And they needed another guy. And he said, hey, he's like, I know a guy um, that we should definitely talk to. And so they call me up and he's like, get to Houston tomorrow. And I was like, uh, dude, I got to work tomorrow. He's like, get your fucking ass up here. And so I call my boss and I'm like, I'm not going to be at work tomorrow. <laughs> and I drive up to Houston and they gave me the job that day. And this is in 2014, maybe six months before the downturn. Was that the so, same time as that internship that you almost took? Where there was, oh yeah. There was those two jobs. Yeah. So yeah, I was actually going through this program with Cigna Engineering and ConocoPhillips and it was a six-month program, and they would take you to train you to be a drilling consultant. So you would, you would take classes through Cigna Engineering, and then you'd be on site on a drill rig. And at the end of that program, Conoco would take the best students out of that program. And at the time, they, had only, they would only look at college graduates. And I don't have a college degree. And for whatever reason, they decided to take a risk on me and bring me in. And I just started blowing all these college graduates out of the water on all the testing. And then plus I had, you know, four years or so of field experience at that point. And 120 and, hour work weeks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so it was like a six, it was a six step interview process. And I was on step four, you know, this had gone on for a month and a half and in venture, it's like, you got the job. And so I had to call up Signal engineering and I was like, Hey, I'm not going to be joining the program. And it was funny because, you know, it kind of seemed like they actually got snubbed. They sent me a rejection letter a week later. They're like, we decided not to pick you for the program. I was like, motherfuckers, I told you I wasn't right. joining. You no, know, I quit on yeah, you. Yeah, you I quit on you. You can't reject me. I rejected you. <laughs> yeah, so that's what brought my wife and I up to Houston. And that was about five and a half years ago. And so, like I said, it was right before the downturn. You know, I was ecstatic. You know, I was told I was going to make, you know, a couple hundred grand. It's going to get to travel the world. You know, we had all this international work. And I was excited about it because, you know, I only worked in West Texas and South Texas. And then the downturn just happened mm -hmm. and all of that international work went away. But with that said, you know, I still got to see a lot of cool things. I worked in every American play. I spent a month on the North Slope, spent a lot of time in deep water Gulf of Mexico on drill ships. So I saw anything and everything between when it came to oil and gas. And so I did that for four years. And then at the beginning of 2018, I quit my job. I just quit. And the, the reason I quit was I worked on call 24-7 with no days off. 
which only ended up being about four months out of the year that I would travel and be out in the field. But the problem was like, I couldn't even schedule a lunch with someone and the, you know, the opportunity cost was too big. You know, I may have a lunch scheduled with David and that morning I get called out to a rig out in the Gulf of Mexico and then I'm gone for a month. And so it's hard to plan your life or make any moves when you're living like that. And so 2018, you're both, you're both sort of in a transition and you've obviously been friends and yeah, so we met, I would say early 2016. Yeah. People ask us this, like, how the hell, how the hell did you guys meet? Colin sent me a message on LinkedIn. I have no clue how you found me. Slid in his DM. Slid in the DMs. (laughs) And then we tried to link up for lunch and it just, we kept missing each other. And then one day I was going through and cleaning my inbox or looking for something and I saw Colin in there and I was like, oh, we never got together. So then I sent him a message back and I was like, hey, do you still want to grab lunch? So then we met at, what's that place called? The Greek place. Nico Nikos. Nico Nikos. Yeah. So we pull up and yeah, that one hour lunch turned into like a three and a half hour lunch. And I was like, oh, I listened to this podcast. And he was like, oh, what about this episode? And then we like dove into it. And I was like, oh, I read this Start book. talking about cars, guns. Like, right. have you seen Step Brothers one? Yeah, like, I mean, you guys, best friends. You, you obviously have really good chemistry, which I think is A, why the podcast works. B, yeah. working with your partner is, yeah. I think, like awesome. So, yeah. I mean, people feed off it. And I was curious. I'm actually shocked you've only been working together since 2018 because it, it seems like you've been yeah. really close for a long time. I mean, yeah, I, know, I would totally agree. Yeah. We did coffee shop working for a long time. I don't think we ever really talk about that. We don't, we don't really know what we were working on, but yeah, we, were, so let, we were working. God damn it. Well, let's, <laughs> I mean, let's pivot to that because I mean, it's actually funny sitting at the table with the three of you guys. I mean, I heard your podcast, Mark, I got to know you a little bit, but I mean, you guys are relentless entrepreneurs. I, I feel like I, I don't belong here necessarily because I kind of was an accidental entrepreneur mostly personality related just because like I'm, I'm big, I'm, I'm loud and, and in big public companies, like it's not always welcome. <laughs> you can't, I, I'm, I'm, I think I'm a very difficult person to have work for you, but See, that, that's kind of like, know that as a fact. That, that's pretty much a, a running background Does truth that, to the three of us is, is being big and, and loud. And, right. And, well, he's and, like, David's like, I'm not much of an entrepreneur, but you don't really want me working for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah I, know, I know. I know. That's, that's, that's actually true. I mean, I guess that's so true, but you guys are so hungry and, and like for you to carve the way you carved the path that you've done, the podcast. Talk about what the other things that you're doing outside the podcast and what opportunities that they that this has opened up for you and, and how it became a thing. Yeah, so, you know, like I said, I, when I quit my job in 2018, I quit and I told my boss, and he's like, well, what are you going to do? And, you know, I kind of feel like a dumbass when I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and, you know, I have a wife and three kids and this guy just thinks I'm fucking insane leaving. The- I was talking about it for like six months. He's just like, man, I think I'm going to pull the trigger. I'm going to pull the trigger and I'm like, we don't have anything lined up yet, but I was like, but if you do it, I think we'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. You know, that led into a lot of things. I mean, I quit and I cashed out my 401k. I was like, you know, I'll live off this. Well, that money doesn't last as long as you think it will. Especially and, after that tax bill. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, you know, you pay 30% tax on your 401k. It disappears quick. But, you know, we, we started looking and we're like, shit, we got to you know, we got to do something quick. And so we started consulting. We saw a need in the market for emerging technology outside of oil and gas that could be implemented within the industry. And we saw that there was a need for companies that identified they had an opportunity in oil and gas, but they had no clue where to start. And so we did that and it actually went really well. Jake and I kind of figured out that we didn't really like consulting that much. I mean, at the end of the day, it really just feels like a job, right? But it paid the bills. It kind of helped us sustain. We also bought some stripper wells up in Oklahoma, which had been 
you know, crash course 101, you know, learning everything about operating. You think you know a lot about operating wells when you work 10 years as, you know, field service hand, but then you get in there and when you're dealing with regulatory and, you know, mineral owners and everything, it's kind of life hits you quick. Yeah, it's <laughs> funny when you make fun of somebody and then you have their job. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Oops. I remember just like, fall, so I, I kind of fell in love just through through the stuff of GDS and working with, with uh, ENPs. I was just like, man, it's very clear to me that this is what I want to do one day, or at least part of my story. So then we buy these wells and we take a picture in front of it. And that was probably one of the happiest moments that I could think of. And it was very, very gratifying. And then fast forward to the day and you're just like, God damn it, these fucking wells. Every <laughs> single day, there's some issue or something. I have to take. But I wouldn't trade it for anything because we got so much valuable experience yeah. and we vlogged uh, like the first workover that we did. It was supposed to be a two-day trip turned into a five-day trip. You know, there's like 30 inches of rain or something in like a day and we're out there in like gym shorts and tank tops with no PPE. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, for us, you know, the podcast, it turns into, you know, start out as a, as a hobby essentially, right? Right. But then, you know, just Jake and I being entrepreneurs figured out that it could be, everything could be monetized. And so I like to tell people that Digital Wildcatters just kind of accidentally became a business unit within itself. You know, obviously we've got a fucking awesome team. I think a lot of people have met Tim Taylor, not Tim the Toolman Taylor, but our Tim Taylor. He's, you know, been absolutely wonderful as a partner, just running everything on the back end operations. And then, you know, Joey over here handling all of our production and then Julie and Jackie and, you know, Carl, we've got a great team. And it's just funny because I've always talked a lot about, I think a lot of success in business has to do with timing mm -hmm. and momentum. And I've had a lot of businesses fail, you know, businesses that I put a lot of money into. And I don't ever think that a lot of it was just due to the operator. I think a lot of it was due to timing and market yeah. conditions. Timing's everything. And I think Digital Wildcatters has kind of been a testament to that. It's just the industry was needing something and we provided it and it ended up taking off and getting a lot of traction. Yeah, I mean, I, timing has certainly been rung true for me and David, I know. Yeah, 100%. Whether you agree with it or not, it's totally true for you. Oh, I mean, I, I fully acknowledge. Yeah. I mean, there's a tremendous number of smart people, but oh, yeah. if you don't time it right, and, and as you guys said, like if you don't stick with something, yeah. you know, the hot takes, like they were almost a throwaway hobby. I was <laughs> doing whatever, right? And, yeah. and But you keep doing it and creating content and then you realize that it resonates with people because of whatever it yeah. is and it's a thing and it's not even replicatable. Like, yeah. like your podcast, there's other, who are joining podcasts i think it's so good for the industry to have mm -hmm. that face but mm -hmm. it's like it just it becomes its own thing digital wildcatters i always laugh whenever i listen to the i, I really wanted to use the line hey digital wildcatters when you started because I, I mean that's how you start your show yeah i'm like i need something like that so I mean, mark so like what do you what's your message out there to the entrepreneurs that 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 fail I think, so I was actually thinking back to what, what I said about us being at the coffee shop. I was like, what the hell were we actually doing? And let's talk about failures. We totally skipped over Amplify, for example. So we started, we wanted to do marketing, create a marketing firm for like mid-sized companies, like local companies in Houston. So well, we did oil and gas work. companies. Yeah. yeah. And you look at timing and that's a perfect use case. Back in 2016, we're telling everyone, hey, there's this huge gap in content marketing and oil and gas no one would fucking listen. No, no one would say anything. No. You know, you talk to these service companies like, guys, you can crush it with some content marketing. And that was, that was a failed venture. We never got one client for it. And then you fast forward to today and we start a podcast and you have every company under the umbrella of oil and gas reaching out to us like, hey, how can we create content and be, be cool like you guys? Right. <laughs> and as I do, we tried, we tried helping y'all yeah. three years ago and no one wanted to listen. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's, it's the experience that you get of at least 
trying and going through. And we also skipped over trying to raise money from private equity before we canceled that too. That was the whole reason we bought the wells. Mm-hmm. That was the whole reason I met you, David. Yeah. It was because I was at the event, the SBE event, yeah. you know, yeah. how, to, how to raise money from uh, private equity. And so we bought those wells as kind of like a pilot just to show that, hey, we can at least operate, which was interesting. And then we decided that we kind of had this thesis that we, or we realized that we really just didn't want to work for private equity. The more we got into it, just yeah. talking to you and talking to some other guys who had raised money, Patrick George up in, up in Dallas and a bunch of other guys. And it just became increasingly obvious to us that it was going to be a long-term, like a really long-term play, like 10 plus years to hold. And then that was a lot of time. And then looking through the numbers and actually understanding the numbers, we're like, well, how do we get paid? Right. And so we had so many other things that we were kind of wanting to pursue. So that we ended up shelving that and then we were stuck with the assets that we bought. So let, let's talk about social media. I mean, you guys touched on it. What, what do you, th- I mean, what do you think? People, people, there's good, there's bad, there's Twitter, there's Facebook, there's LinkedIn. I mean, how do you guys think that oil and gas benefits from or, or is hurt by social media and what do you see in the future? I think the one thing that we've done is provided a platform and we try to encourage everybody to be as authentic as possible because I hate the fact that I get that there needs to be a certain level of quote unquote professionalism, right? But at the end of the day, you look at somebody's LinkedIn profile and it's like the sanitized, most boring version of themselves versus like their Instagram or their Facebook or something where it's like the real version. And I think because of that, I think a lot of people have kind of just forgot about the human element in oil and gas. And I think we've kind of provided a platform to re humanize some of these people behind the companies. You know, now they're able to connect with you and connect with you and you're not just you're not just Franklin Mountain Energy. You're not just Q Engineering. You know, it's your entire story behind that. Yeah, I think in oil and gas, LinkedIn is the most undervalued asset for companies. Just the amount of reach that you can get on there. And oil and gas is so active mm-hmm. on that platform, so active. And it's not like any other industry on LinkedIn. And so, you know, I've been preaching that message for a few years now. And I was milking that cow as long as I could. You know, no one else is putting out content. And I think it's easy to forget that even like a year and a half, two years ago, it was like almost like taboo to put out content in oil and gas. Oh, totally. so like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, why like are you're, you? You're clogging my feed, bro. Yeah. yeah it's Dude, like, I get so much hate. Like, hey, mail, man. So <laughs> much go, hate. Go put mail. this on Instagram. Go put this on Facebook. This yeah. is not the place for it on LinkedIn. Right. And oh, how times have changed over the last year. Yeah. What, what do you think, Mark? I mean, when, with your branding and everything you guys have been doing at Q. Yeah, I, I mean, it's certainly an area that we need to take better advantage of. I'm, I'm a self-admitted Luddite in, in terms of posting content to LinkedIn. But as a consumer of that content, I really appreciate reading the hot takes. I really appreciate reading the updates. So yeah. I, I guess I'm just a stalker. <laughs> I think so. I, it's so it's funny, David. Actually, I went into I won't say who it was. I went into somebody's office the other day, and we were walking through some some stuff in a meeting. And I, I mentioned something. It was I think it was your hot take that you had done that day. Mm-hmm. And this is so hilarious. One of the engineers looks over the engineer, and she whispered. She didn't really whisper because the whole room heard it. She was like, "Is that the guy we don't like?" And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and I, was like I heard that. I'm sitting right here, and. I was like, okay. I was like, well, what don't you, not that she didn't like you. She, just, yeah. she didn't agree with the hot take, right? Yeah. And so I was like, okay, what did you disagree on? She was like, well, she gave me her stance. It was like really technical stuff. So I can't really repeat it. But I said, well, did you, did you comment on it? Did you at least have some commentary? And she was like, yeah, well, I did comment, but then I ended up deleting. And I was like, well, why? She was like, well, I, I just don't really want to engage in that kind of stuff. I was like, that's what we need. We need more engagement. I don't yeah. like whether you're right, whether you're wrong, it doesn't matter. We need to have commentary about some of the hot issues 100%. in the industry and at least you know, you know, LinkedIn provides that. This podcast provides that, and there's other places in the industry to look for that. But I think we just need to have more conversations that are had offline in between yeah. small groups of people and put it into 
you know, the public that, forum. That's probably the feedback I get the most is people say they want more engagement. And, you know, I, I get in 1300 characters. And if you haven't listened to the podcast and if you've never met me, like some people actually, I was up in Breckenridge at this uh, Permian land thing. And the most common question was, well, statement really was, I thought you were kind of an asshole. <laughs> and like, like, but you're Canadian. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, I'm, so, I'm sorry. sorry. But you know, so obviously you, you come across a certain way and you have a caricature and you know, the whole beating series that I did was, was really to get people to engage. Cause we were having a technical problem and we didn't think that enough people were talking about it. Mm-hmm. and people wouldn't engage or they'll like send you a direct message saying i don't want this to be on linkedin because you know blah 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 and and it's and it's really interesting the other thing is and i'm sure you guys have so let's talk trolling and viral you know when you're out there and and guys are trolling you i'll say i like to think i have thick skin and every once in a while i get trolled and like then i get fired up and i gotta <laughs> like and i come back hard have, dude. and i thought I like i thought i could let it go i'm like politicians half of the people in america hate you yeah and they can still deal with stuff and like one guy sends one bad comment i'm like lying in bed i'm like i'm gonna respond tomorrow he's oh he's gonna get it <laughs> what do you guys? how do you guys deal with a, that i mean it really hasn't been that bad for me on linkedin lately but especially last year kind of when there was a few I saw, that stuck out i can't remember what they were but they were like yeah, i get messages like this one guy is like how many drill, how many wells have you actually drilled? And I was like, what the fuck's your problem? And then he's messaged me later after I posted another post and he's like, will you just disappear already? And I was like, dude, fuck this guy. It, it's always guys saying, seeking new opportunities, unemployed, looking for something new. Right. Yeah. These are the biggest trolls that you get in the industry. It's, it's a great, it's a great way to build your network and really kind of just have a good public showing is to just be trolling other people online. I think the, the one that sticks out to me, the only one that I can really think of right off the top of my head is we got a, a one-star review <laughs> and the one-star review said something about, so we, we host energy tech night that we do once a quarter. Uh, we have these collective dinners for these, these members that we have that we also do once a quarter. Once upon a time, we were heavily involved in the OGGN happy hours, which we were doing. So we're doing a ton of events. And when you host these events and you're the host, you're pulled in a million different directions. And so somebody commented that they that we were rude to them and they felt like they were breaking up our bro sesh or something, which I cannot recall a single time I've ever been rude to anybody, mm-hmm. despite how rude they've been to us. And so... At that moment, I got a little bit butthurt. I was just like, I feel like we bend over backwards to, to try to help as many people as possible. And one person felt so entitled that to more of our time or maybe a different response or something that, I don't it's know. It's probably those muscles. Yeah, that's probably what it is. <laughs> Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, going, going back to trolls, you know, here's the thing. If you want to get traction online, you have to be a polarizing figure. Yeah. Um, you have to have people that hate you. You have to have people that love you. I mean, that's why you've taken off. I mean- <laughs> The people in the industry don't support some of the things that you say or they don't fucking, like it. They, they love you, yeah. you know? So, I mean, going back to what you said, I think I have thick skin too, but every once in a while yeah. there's someone that'll comment something and it gets to you. And if you're going to put out content, you make yourself vulnerable, right? Yeah. And so you have to be willing to deal with that stuff. Mark, I was telling David before we started recording, I said someone on Twitter called me David Jr., the other day as a, as an insult, I was like, I didn't really take it as an insult. I was like, Hey man, I like David. <laughs> I mean, I think it's the same thing. Like if you, if somebody's making fun, if you make fun of yourself before somebody else can, what can they ever say to you? Right. Like, yeah. especially as me, I was like bullied a lot as a kid. So you know, I just sort of make fun of myself and then nobody could do anything. It's the same thing with, with what we do with as much as we do on camera and David, you're going to start seeing this as we're putting out more content, but you can't necessarily always be you have to be yourself because if you're not and somebody catches you off guard and you're playing a character, then people are going to poke holes in it. So yeah, if, you're, if you're genuinely yourself and I've never put anything out there claiming I'm 
trying to be anything other than myself. If somebody wants to talk shit, I'm just, I own up to who I am. And if I don't know something, like people have tried to stump me with, with Q and A's and stuff, doing sure. live stuff. And I'm like, I don't know the answer. I'm yeah. not, I'm not your guy, yeah. you know? So just be yourself 100% and either so, people like it or they don't like it. So, I mean, anytime you create an idea, anytime you step out into the market, there's always going to be a realignment. Talk to me about some of the realignments that have happened. Personal life, it could be organizations that you expected more support from. It could be, you know, maybe support from the community, startup community here in Houston. Or what, like what, what did the entrance of your idea into the market look like for you? Yeah, you know, for the total ecosystem, one, I didn't expect to have so much support from the startup community. And when I say the startup community, I mean the startups themselves, not mm -hmm. any legacy institutions that think that they're there for the startups, whether it's ran by the majors or any of the incubators or anyone in town. You know, I didn't expect anyone to take the podcast or what we were doing seriously in the early days, but just the amount of support that we got from the startup community and the listeners, to be honest, kind of validated and justified why we should keep doing this. You know, I, I'm not going to say who it was, but one of the founders that was on our show was like, you guys have an obligation to keep to keep doing this. You yeah. have an obligation yeah. to the industry because everyone needs it. And so for me, you know, it, it's kind of, you know, you talk about alignment, like I didn't think that I would do one. I didn't think that I'd have a podcast that was ongoing for a year, you know, uh, episode every week. That's a pretty big commitment, right? But just seeing the change that's started happening in the last year and the, the community coming together, I think has been so big for us and for everyone involved that, you know, we're going to keep doing it. And we haven't had a ton of support from local or anyone else in the industry until here recently. I mean, right. like in the last month it's like and a, a half. It's a snowball, right? I mean, the, the challenge, I mean, I'm not saying this is going to be a challenge, but I think about this a lot. You know, 2020 is going to be a really tough year mm -hmm. in terms of politics. I mean, there's no way around it. And it doesn't yeah. matter if you're, if you're on the left or on the right our country has stopped listening to the other side. Like you, like it's just so ridiculous. And so mm -hmm. I love podcasts. I don't listen to news anymore. Yeah. I only listen to podcasts because I like that people are actually being respectful. Yeah. If I were to have a complaint about Twitter, I love the FinTwit guys. I mean, if they're listening, I, I really do love you. I think you're great. But the fact that it's anonymous, I, I get why it is, but you can, you can say anything you want and you don't put your reputation behind yeah, it. Yeah. Twitter, and, Twitter's a, it's a cesspool overall as a platform. It, it, it's, like it's, it's interesting because I get most of my news from Twitter, but at the end of the day, like it's such a toxic platform. Yeah. Well, where I was going with that is, is it's going to be hard to, to, because for our industry, I don't care that people agree with me and I, I am advocating for our industry to do smarter things. I, I true. And I love it. Me too. I love the people. I like I, all the things. Yeah. I don't like that. Our industry is being threatened by, by bad information. And so as mm -hmm. 2020 ramps up and it becomes Democrats versus Republicans, it's going to be very hard for people who have a profile not to weigh in. And in so doing, you're going to polarize because you're going to try and stay moderate and have conversations. But, you know, when Elizabeth Warren tweeted that on day one, she's going to ban fracking, I'm like, like, please invite me and let's have a conversation about decline rates in the United States. We'll decline 2 million barrels a day. We'll still produce exactly the same amount of oil. Oil will go to 100. We'll marginalize poor people. Like, that is going to happen. Mm -hmm. yep. If you want to have a conversation, invite me. Like, sign me up. But So I'm curious how you guys think about going into November 2020 as the rhetoric picks up, how you stay out of the fray or get into the fray or advocate or what? 
Yeah, I think we might have mentioned Elizabeth Warren on our podcast with yeah. Justin. I can't remember just her banning fracking comment and then also how she's going to bust up all the fang stocks or, you know, Amazon and Google. I mean, she's going to wreck capitalism, right? But yeah, you know, for us, we try not to get too tied up in, in the political storm. But like you said, you know, just everything that's happening in the industry, you know, on the upstream side, and then you pair that with the political side as well. I think that the best mission for us or the best thing that we can do, and I was talking at a women's conference the other day and I was telling about this also, is that there's a serious attack on oil and gas, right? And the only way that people can learn the truth about what happens in oil and gas is hearing the stories from people within the industry. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about some, you know, 30 second clip from some Slumberjay employee that's scripted, you know, them sitting down reading off of a board that doesn't do any fucking good. It has to be the people within the industry telling the stories, telling of how, you know, the, the good things that we're doing. I think that that's how we have to combat any negative news from outside. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, you, in Houston, you're in this bubble, right? Everyone's involved with oil and gas some way or another. You get out of Houston and it's not like that. And so we have to figure out how do we tell those stories and penetrate those people that are outside looking in. Yeah. So at Energy Tech Night, I think it was a few weeks back, I was talking to Ryan Gurney from, from Cottonwood Ventures. And I always think about the platform that we have within oil and gas and telling those stories. And I hadn't really given it too much thought. I'm not super political anymore for a variety of reasons, but I wasn't really thinking about it from the public perception standpoint. And so we were sitting there chatting and he said, you guys have, you know, the biggest platform in oil and gas. And he's like, the implications for that, for educating people who are not familiar with the industry. He was like, have you, have you thought about like that kind of impact? And I was like, honestly, not really. But it's a good point with something like Senator Warren, for example, looking at just politicians in general, these people are lawyers or they're career politicians or they're something else and they have advisors that they go to. And so while I blame her for just accepting blind advice, but you look at who are, who are the people that are educating them right. and why are they not understanding the importance that this industry provides in order to have a, a first world country and the economy that we have and all the luxuries in life that we have, oil and gas is not going anywhere, no. you know? And so yeah, if we Cal can look at California today with the blackouts, yeah. everyone's freaking out, you know, yeah. not going to have electricity for I wonder why. four days. And guess yeah. what? That's what happens in a world without cheap energy. Well, <laughs> and, and, you know, even ge like geographically, they're separated from the rest of the engine energy yeah. producing part of the country. Yep. And, you know, to, you know, just have the positions that they have towards oil and gas that one of my former employers had a, an oil field under running Beverly Hills. I don't know if you know this, but there's actually mm -hmm. yeah. oil fields. I worked, I worked on a whole bunch of on, them. I worked on a well in Los Angeles oh, on yeah. a golf course. Like we had the workover rig right at the end of the driving range. Golf balls were fucking hitting the rig. <laughs> and, and it's, and it's hilarious because this, this, you know, California forgets that they, in a lot of ways, were the continuation of the original oil boom. Yep. And go to like Huntington Beach and look yeah, down the ocean. Man. Yeah, it's no, it's, it's nuts. And to turn away at it and and as a consequence of that have, you know, direct energy energy, you know, issues. Yeah. Uh, there are several well documented finds offshore of California mm -hmm. that, that the government won't, won't, won't let them won't let us drill. It's so funny. When I went to that well, it was in Brea and my stepmom's family was in town and they live in Brea. And it's like, hey, I'm going there in two weeks to a well. And they're like we didn't know we had an oil field there and we pull it up on Google Maps. They're like, we live a mile away from that. We've never seen any oil. Dude, I get there. I pull up to this intersection, 
extremely big, busy intersection. Guess what's right on the corner? A pump jet. Yeah. Just fucking going up There's and one down. by the In-N-Out Burger that I took my yeah. son to. I, I had him get out and take a photo because I was like, this is too amazing. That one's in a gate, right? Yeah, like it it's a in a gate, gate right yeah. by the drive-thru. Yeah. I mean, the it's the funny. potential for a pun is an, <clears throat> of an In-N-Out Burger is just like... It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah. go, go back to what you said on the politics side. So we actually, since kind of having that conversation with Ryan, and kind of very serendipitously, we are planning on hosting an event in D.C. Well, yeah. this guy um, from the Department of Energy reaches out saying, yeah. hey, Digital Wildcatters should do an event in D.C. We'll totally. get all the corporations there. It's like, fuck yeah. I was like, Digital Wildcatters goes like, to the White House. I was like, okay, we have no political connections. I was like, can you take the lead on it? I mean, he works in the White House and he was like, I got you. And so he's lining up all of the executives, all these big companies, lobbyists, a whole bunch of people. And so I have no go. clue what direction it's going to go, right. but we're, we're going there. Digital Wildcatters goes to D.C., so that's, uh, that's awesome. Okay, so we'll take you guys with us. We're going to set up a meeting with Elizabeth Warren for David. Let's do it. We're going to vlog it. Yeah. That'll be, oh, shit, that's going to be a good you know, I mean, show. It would, be, it would be awesome, though, because, like, really and truly, my hope is just dialogue. Yeah. Like, too many people, you know, the trolls, like, stop yelling at people, stupid, you're dumb. <laughs> like, that is not helpful. Tell me I'm dumb for that's, all the reasons. That's part and, of cancel culture. You know, let's have, let's have a debate. But, yeah. but look, Energy is a problem. There's a great book I'm reading right now called Superpower. It was written by, I think, a New York Times journalist. And, and it's about wind power. This Michael Skeely, who's actually from Houston, Austin yeah. area. And the challenge is not wind. The challenge is the transmission. And fundamentally, when it goes through districts that have coal plants, which are producing 38% of the America's energy, they don't want to lose jobs. Mm -hmm. So this isn't about climate change. I mean, if we truly want to stop fossil fuel use, let's put a $19 a gallon tax on yeah, gas. But politicians want to come up with the neat thing to say. We need to come up with solutions, and we need smart people in the room having a dialogue. Yeah. And so I love that you guys are going there. I I hope that there's more dialogue where people listen to each other, and and you guys lead. Yeah, the definitely. Efforts. Well, I mean, that's just my beef with any politicians or any political stance, regardless, is that they don't really consider facts or data driven <laughs> decisions. Right? It's just yelling at each other. It's and, very. And it's, it's, a, it's a tough job also, too, to be there because you, you get there and what's the background? You know, you've got a law degree, you, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, coordinated campaigns, you went in and maybe you ran for a cause initially, but you get into the system that's kind of mm -hmm. teaching you how to become yeah. a politician. And, yeah. and it, it, it's, uh, it's tough to come out of that with any like ground truth. Well, it's thing. just, yeah. you know, I think obviously big news a couple of weeks ago was that 16 year old Greta yep. and her, yeah. you know, climate change uh, speak at the UN. And my big thing is it's easy to say these things when you're enjoying one of the most prosperous times in world history. You look at the American economy. I mean, we're enjoying a 10 year historic bull run mm -hmm. and people take things for granted. And there's a direct correlation between cheap energy and having a high quality lifestyle. I mean, go, you know, go to any, just poor part. Of, like of Norway per, per se. Yeah. 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 I mean, look, tier one country, yeah. go to a tier three country and tell them, you know, I, I'm sure they would love to have electricity or Lights. gas to burn. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. You look at California with these blackouts that are happening and like, guys, this is life without access to cheap energy. Electricity is powered yeah. by... Chris Wright from Liberty talks a lot about this. He's a great advocate for the industry. If you haven't looked him up on Google, you should. But he talks about raising people out of poverty and, mm -hmm. and cheap energy is the way you do that. Yeah. And the world, it, energy is not going anywhere. Yeah. We need more of it. We need cleaner of it. But like 
it is making lives better and I want my kids to have a better life than me. Absolutely. And that means that they're going to have electricity. Yeah. A fun exercise is to think about what Elon Musk would have to do to go to Mars, right? So in order to get to Mars, for one, you're going to have to use jet fuel. Right. Right. Can't do it with electricity. Can't do it any other way. So there's going to be a whole lot of that to make a whole lot of trips back and forth to Mars. And once you get there, what is one of the most important things you have to do? You're going to have to find some kind of natural resources to set up the infrastructure there. Yeah. Yeah. If that's required to set up a civilization, if we were to do it from ground zero, what makes you think that you can just completely eliminate it with a civilization that's already established? So we're coming to the end and I want the three of you, I want you to weigh in on the future of entrepreneurism in oil and gas in particular in the next 12 to 24 months. Mm -hmm. What do you see? What advice do you give to people? How are you feeling? Well, I think I'll start just because yeah, I'm next ahead. in line. Yeah. But, you know, one of the things I get excited about recently is, have you looked at the transaction data out of the Permian? Yes. You know who's been buying? I'm not that specific with it. You know, for, for years and years, it's been entrepreneurs selling to public companies. Mm -hmm. But the buyers in the Permian, the hottest play in the hottest area in the country, have been the entrepreneurs again. Right. And, you know, we have this massive miscorrection in the public equities markets as EMP companies have lost money. But the... No, sell everything reaction in Wall Street is actually creating an opportunity for entrepreneurship to, mm -hmm. you know, essentially up like pick up the, the the debris that's being left over. And I think that that's that's something I'm personally watching for for entrepreneurship in right. in oil and gas. And as a as a you know software startup company, I can't help but say that the future is bright for software, not because software is is the answer to everything, but because where software can provide answers, it's very powerful for the end users that that need to use those answers to actually go make money. Yeah. And so I think in both cases, we're pretty, I'm, I'm excited. To optimistic. See I love yeah. it. Okay. Call yeah. I'm actually a little bit more pessimistic over the next two years, just because you suck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's yell at him and then beat him and then say nothing of importance, but just make him feel bad. Start a campaign on Twitter to cancel my podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so I look at it from two perspectives. I think that we live in a very interesting economic I mean, if True. you look at a macro level, what's happening in the public markets, I think that what's happening there, I mean, you know, we're just so overvalued in every public equity. You know, there's talks of Americans moving into negative interest rates, which is, it's very interesting and we'll see what happens with that. And then also, you know, I, I just think WeWork is going to be the pinnacle of the private capital market boom, the bubble. And I think that's popping. And I think that's been, that's needed to happen for the past couple, uh, several years. But with Uber, Lyft, WeWork, I think that's kind of the pinnacle of that, which you're already hearing a lot of VCs chattering about how that's affecting Series A raises mm -hmm. in the uh, software space. So I think the days of getting these extremely high valuations is going to be, it's going to be pretty rough over the next couple of years. And then you look at what's happening in oil and gas. I'm not so optimistic on the oil and gas industry that American Shell plays over the next couple of years just because I believe that we're going to move into a period of deleveraging. And with that, just there's less opportunity. There's less opportunity for the service companies, less opportunity for the software companies. But with that said, I think that if you are an entrepreneur and you start something up, and I, I honestly think the best time is to start in the down, in the down yep. times yeah. because – if you can cut your teeth in that, then you can ride the wave up and enjoy that success. So, yeah, yeah, you know, that's kind of my optimistic spin on it. Love it. Jake, what do you got? I agree with both of you. 
Oh my gosh! <laughs> 100%. Wow. Did you know he was running for office? Yeah, that's, that's, that's incredible. incredible. I mean, a uh, Jake, Jake Corley from Houston, right, guys? I agree with well, those are very good answers. Just good answers. <laughs> so on, on the technology side, <laughs> on the technology side, oh please do Donald Trump for the whole answer. We just we just That'd called be BS on you collectively, so you're gonna have to come up with a new answer. I've got all the best technology. <laughs> Trust me, everybody's talking about it. <laughs> yeah, the technology side. So if I have a lot of people who ask me, they're they're new graduates or they're wanting to break into the industry, they're saying, where, where should I go? And I can't feel confident in saying, go to anything in upstream, whether it's an EMP or uh, service companies. I just feel like it's too volatile right now, especially with the environment that we're seeing. I think tech is a little bit more stable in this industry. And I think from uh, data and an operational efficiency standpoint, oil and gas, particularly upstream, is pretty fucked. We've made a lot of progress, but there's still so much more that, that can happen. And because of that, there's a lot of opportunities for, for guys like you at Q, Corva, a lot of the other guys are just, you know, it's booming, right? There's mm-hmm. a, still a lot of things that we can do in the industry. On the upstream side, let's put this into two buckets. I think public companies, especially these shell players, they're fucked, like David's saying. And so we're going to see a major restructuring there. So obviously I'm very pessimistic. I think a lot of good things will come out of that. And the second is who are the winners going to be? And we talked about this before we hopped on the mic. And it's the private slash most likely conventional players are, are going to win because I know a lot of these guys personally and they're doing very, very well. And so depending on which bucket you fall in, depends on whether that's pessimistic or optimistic. There's still plenty of ways to make money in this. There's a oh, lot yeah. of, there's infinite small. amount of opportunities in this business. And that's the whole reason that we're in it in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. David, you got to answer your own question. Yeah. I mean, to me, I've talked about it a lot and I, I call and hit on it. I, you're totally right. It is is right now we, we've been distracted by the commodity price crash yeah. where everyone's been focused Oh, 52, if 50 goes to 60, there's fundamentally a balance sheet problem, which is fundamentally a leverage problem. And so I agree. I'm, I'm short-term pessimistic because balance sheets do not support running a business any more than long leasing space and <laughs> leasing it back to, but it's all about EBITDA, David. Yeah. It's all about community, EBITDA. community <laughs> adjusted EBITDA. <laughs> <laughs> but so no, I, the, yeah. the deleveraging is going to bring down a lot of people. And I think the opportunity that comes out of there for the people who stick with it. And so, you know, the, yeah. the message that I, I want people to, to leave here with is what the three of you, but in particular, our two guests today, you guys have stuck with it. You, you found a niche in something that I don't think either of you would have seen do what it did. Mm-hmm. You stuck with it. It grew. It's grown way beyond what you th- what you thought. And so I love the fact that there's people who are, who are doing the same thing right now, and they're going to find a way to make it work, and they're going to stick to it. And we have wonderful entrepreneurs. We live in the best country, and I'll include Canada in that. We live in the best <laughs> two countries in the world, and we're just so fortunate. And and I I've really appreciated our friendship over the last year. I really appreciate that like you guys that. had us on, and I've been thrilled to co-host here with Mark and yeah. get a chance to visit. We appreciate you guys coming on in the early days, you know, taking a chance, dedicating your time to come on the podcast. And both of those episodes were, you know, really just fundamentally important to the show. Yeah, it's it's absolutely. all about the guests, having high quality guests. So we appreciate mm-hmm. you guys. All right, guys. Well, you know, I didn't get to bust anybody's balls today. I was, I was looking for an opportunity. I, I tried several times, but okay, what did I miss? We're, we're man, we're, we're, we're tight, tight guarded. You can't bust our balls. <laughs> well, we're gonna have to wrestle them after like a two on. We're gonna tag. lose. I'm a little, I'm a little disappointed that our audio listeners can't see Jake's Donald Trump impression. So if you're listening on audio, you have to go back on YouTube and and look at Jake's. It was quality. I got this, I got this tweet that I wanted Jake to read. Oh yes. Did y'all see this from Donald Trump the other day? Oh god, this um, is a great tweet. <laughs> oh, I want. Oh, yes, please. This please. is a great tweet. Before we, okay. Okay, I want you to read this. Hold it up for me. I'm gonna use my hands. Okay. 
<laughs> oh, I'm so excited already. Oh, God, I'm going to butcher this. As I've stated strongly before, and just to reiterate, if Turkey does anything that I, in my great and unmatched wisdom, consider to be off limits, I will totally destroy and obliterate the economy of Turkey. I've done it before. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me that's not spot on. Oh, that's, that is so gross for us. All right, Jake, cut us out, man. Get us out of here. All right, guys. Once again, huge thanks to these guys. This has been, I've been looking forward to this for so long, ever since mm-hmm. you guys brought it up. And this has been so much fun. And this is exactly what we're talking about. This is why we do it. Even if there was no business to be built off the back of this, it's fun. And the people that we get to meet and relationships that are built out of it. It's just, it's priceless in my opinion. And so thank you guys again. Thank you to all the listeners. Thank you to every single podcast guest that we've had up to this point. And so if you guys like the show, please share it with your friends. Send it to everybody at your company. If you want to leave a rating and review, we really appreciate it. And we'll catch you guys on the next episode. Come, 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 come.